Good morning, everyone. I like to think of this as a conversation, even though I get to do most of the talking. I love to start by just connecting with all of you and asking you, if you didn't receive an outline this morning as you walked in, um, I encourage you to have one because there's questions on it that we'd like you to reflect on this week in the participation challenge. So um, the ushers are walking the aisles with those. If you didn't get one, I don't know. Jared and I like to share a lot of things, but we don't share our outlines. So I get to start this new series called Simple, Making Room for What Really Matters. And this last week, I saw something really fun. Um, You know, we have an amazing hospitality team. These are predominantly women who prepare um, that that little bite of treat or snack as you come out of the service. And last week, um, the leader on that particular time, um, she was taking care of the coffee bar, getting it set up. It was quite early in the morning. And she had her son with her. And uh, her son was helping her. And he was barely taller than the counter out there by the coffee bar. And she had told him to put the half and half, the creamer, on ice so it would get cold. So I walked by just as he was unscrewing the cap and pouring the creamer over the bowl of ice. It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? And, and mom was very busy with the coffee setup over on this end, so she wasn't getting to witness it, and I completely stayed out of it. I just <laughs> let it all happen. And she turned and saw it, and she said, Oh, I guess my instructions were not as plain and simple as they needed to be, uh, you know, for him to get it. And she was so kind and gracious, and, and she helped him, gave him better instructions, and he got it right. And that brings up, we just, we just love it when something works, when it's easy, right? And to make something, when we say it's simple, most people hear it's easy. And this brings up one of my favorite gifts from my 60th birthday. Somebody gave me the easy button. Okay, you know. You know, that, that's what we'd like to have happen. But to simplify something is to make it less complicated, less complex, to make it easier or plainer. And for four weeks, we're going to talk about making our lives simpler so that each one of us can focus on what's really important in life. And each week, we're going to have a participation challenge for you that we're all invited to take the challenge together for that week. And that challenge will have an opportunity to simplify either our food or our money or our possessions or our time. Now, there are a lot of people out there who would love to help you decide what's important in life. And I found this cartoon, which made me smile, right? Today's consumer has new priorities, and it's our job to tell them what those priorities are. And that's a marketing group. There are all kinds of people in our lives, not just the marketers, but people that we live with even and people that we're friends with and people that we work with who would like to tell us what's really important. But I want to just bring up one example of how the culture is telling us and how the marketers are telling us what's important. Halloween, it happened last night. You know, the spending for Halloween topped $6.9 billion this year. The number one expense in that was $2.1 billion for candy. And I was part of that. Yep, I contributed to that $2.1 billion. In fact, I even bought a bag of 150 pieces for Jared to take to his class he was teaching at George Fox. When he saw that bag of 150, he says, they will never eat that. And I said, trust me, there's 20 of them. They'll finish, polish this off by the end of the day. He came home, and this morning, he dumped out the five little pieces that were left, (laughs) right? So I contributed to that $2.1 billion. 
And just under $2 billion was the decor dollars that were spent for Halloween. And $1.9 billion is what adults spent on costumes. Kids, $950 million for their costumes. And get this one, doesn't surprise anybody living in the Portland metro area, $350 million was spent on pet costumes. So if you think this does not happen, you are dreaming. You are dreaming. There are people who are very effective. This is what their training, their skill is in, is to help us set the priorities in our life. Tell us what's really important, what really matters. And honestly, Halloween has grown 55% year over year. And it's what's called in the retail business a consumer holiday. And that's for a reason. So enough about that to just show how influenced we can be and what's important. There are so many great books out there available to help us simplify, to help us prioritize, to help us go through a process to decide what's really important. And one of my favorite recent ones that I'm enjoying is called The Five Choices and in that book, there are, it's a book to help us uh, get on an extraordinary path to great productivity. Now, this book talks about five choices that we need to make if we're going to make the most of our time and be highly productive. And then it backs it up with research that supports why each one of those particular choices are the top five, right? So I just want to review those five choices with you. The first one, act on the important, don't react to the urgent. That's kind of a familiar one to a lot of us. Number two, go for the extraordinary. Don't settle for the ordinary. Number three, schedule the big rocks. Don't sort gravel. And I put these on your outline for you to save you some writing. Number four, rule your technology. Don't let it rule you. And number five, fuel your fire. Don't burn out. But today, what if I told you that all of these choices are wrapped up in the most important choice of all. The most important choice that any of us can make. Today, we're going to listen and look at Jesus' talk about the most important thing in our life. The path to the most extraordinary life, the biggest rock in any of our lives, and how to ensure that technology won't rule you and you won't burn out. And also the way to ensure that marketing doesn't drive the decisions that you're making with your life. And it all starts with one big idea. And that one big idea is not an an idea. It's a Jesus idea. He's the one who states it for us. And it's this. Make God's agenda for your life and who he wants you to become the top priority. Make God's agenda for your life and who he wants you to become your top priority. That sums up everything I'm going to say today. Because without his lordship in your life, in my life, our productivity will be temporary, meaning fleeting. It'll only last for this life. And it will be absolutely ordinary against the backdrop of eternity. The backdrop that God's painting for us of a future that goes on forever. That's filled with grander dreams than we could ever imagine. And our productivity is going to be nothing in the face of that without this big idea. And to look at that, I want to read with you from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 6, verses 25 through 23. And then we're going to focus in on one verse, the 33rd verse. It's what I call the hinge verse in this particular because it is the solution for what Jesus is going to talk about here. 
Beginning in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies, of the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow will be thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So what's Jesus saying here? We're being told to replace the pursuit of and worry over temporary things like what we wear and what we eat. Things that people around us, things that marketers who influence our culture are all about. It's what they're pursuing. It's what they're worrying about. And we're told to replace those with something of much greater significance a goal that is above every goal we ask the question what could be more important than what we eat and wear we kind of need that don't we i mean the last time i checked the naked bike ride was an event not a everyday way of life that's right yeah that naked bike ride my mom loves hearing about that she's going to listen to this podcast and 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 be on me about that one But, you know, it's not, I mean, we need food, right? I still need food, even though I may not need as much or the type of foods that I would prefer sometimes, I still need food. But Jesus is giving us the path to an extraordinary life. With it, he promises that our quest for material things, for the things that we need, will be taken care of by him. Now, this isn't a, you do well enough at this and I'll do this for you. He knew that when we position ourselves in right relationship to him, when he really is who he is meant to be in our lives, that we would be in the best place to experience his provision and what he has for us. So what I want to do with you is, first of all, read aloud Matthew 6.33 together. And then I want to unpack four important words and phrases in this one verse with you and talk about that. Let's read this together. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The first word we want to look at, in this case a single word, it's that first word, seek. And what I want to put with that is work at it. Because that's what this word seek is all about. Now, Anne's translation of this first word would be go for it. Okay, and a lot of you know I am an activator, so I am prone to action. But this truly is an action word. And because of that, I threw up this cartoon. Instead of making my usual to-do list, I'm going to actually do something. (laughs) Have you ever done that? This verse isn't talking about making a to-do list of what's important. It's about actually acting on that. So if if I want to live a God-centered life, this word seek is all about working at it. Seek. 
The word here is the strongest form of it found in the New Testament. It means a deliberate striving and desiring. Isn't that cool? It's about wanting it as well as working at it. It means to seek after, to go for it, to endeavor or strive after something. Now, in the Old Testament, it always referred or often referred to an activity that engaged the whole person. Let me give you a couple examples. Joseph was sent out to seek his brothers for his father. In Genesis 37, he went out looking for them in the fields. They were out there being shepherds. And it's this word. Pharaoh started looking for Moses after he'd heard that he killed two of his Egyptian uh, people. It's the same word. Saul, one of the kings in the Old Testament, went looking for some runaway donkeys. It's the same word. This seeking is not just a sitting and reflecting on it. This is something, it's not a to-do list. It's not sitting down and writing, I should do this. It was actually doing, it's a head and a heart word. So when applied to our relationship with God in the Old Testament, the word seek was always about God's people, the Israelites, consciously making a decisive move of their will to turn back to God with all their heart. Now, in the New Testament, the same thing is implied, this decisiveness. It's decision, not reflection. Again, not a to-do list. So some of the parables that use this word in the New Testament, you'll remember that there's the merchant who looked for the pearls. You'll remember the woman who scoured her house, searched all over for that one drachma, that one coin that she couldn't find. Same word here. Same word used of Judas looking for his opportunity. To betray Jesus. So what's the point of seek in this particular verse? It's to build in time with God where he has our undivided attention and our ear. It's us making ourselves accessible and available to him. Now, it's not relationship by recliner, although some could call it that because I know people who call their, their time with God each day their chair time. I love how Bill Hybels puts it in his book, Simplify, 10 Practices to Unclutter Your Soul. A great book, by the way. He says this, take time every day to reach for God's hand and listen for his agenda for your life. Take time every day to reach for God's hand. He's there with us. Reach out to him and listen for his agenda. So when I went on vacation in August, my brother, uh, we happened to stop on our way in Spokane on our way to Montana, and he mentioned this book that he was reading. And so I started it then on vacation. I have so enjoyed it. It's called A Dream So Big, Our Unlikely Journey to End the Tears of Hunger, and I highly recommend it. But in this story, it's about this couple, Nancy and Steve Pfeiffer, and they have two boys, and she's just turned 40 when they discover that she is pregnant. Now, because she's 40, the doctors want to perform all sorts of extra tests. Some of you have lived this reality. And when they, did the, the, uh, when they suggested the tests, um, they told them, no, we're not going to do those tests because regardless of what this baby is or has or problems that are present, we're going to keep it. We're not going to get an abortion. So they went on in the pregnancy, but at the 20-week mark when she went for the usual ultrasound, they did discover two very serious anomalies that her little boy, which they discovered it was a boy at that ultrasound, had. And this made them really want for Nancy and Steve to go ahead and have an amniocentesis. So they prayed about it, and they felt like God said, you need to do it so you get clarity on how you can care for this little boy when he's born. 
So they did, and the amniocentesis came back, and their child had a chromosomal abnormality that was incompatible with life. And the longest that anyone, any baby on record had ever lived was two years, but most died within two weeks of birth. So Nancy felt inside, her first response was, I can't do this. I mean, she told God as much, I can't do this. What changed everything for her? She stopped what she was doing, and she sought God. She grabbed her Bible. She sat down on her couch, and she describes this in the book. And she proceeded to tell God all the reasons why she couldn't do this, why she couldn't go on for a baby that she was loving more and more every day, knowing that he was going to die. And she reminded God that in his word, the Bible, don't you love it how we remind him of what he said? She reminded him, hey, your word says that your way is perfect, and there's nothing perfect about this. So I don't think this could be your will. And then when she was done with her reasons why, God whispered, I know you can't, but I can and I will. And she thought, okay, I've got one more thing I want to tell you about, God. And here's what she said. She threw her last argument up there. She said, I don't know how you think I can keep on growing more and more in love with this little boy knowing that he's going to die. And ever so gently, she heard God's whisper. I too watched my son every day of his life on earth, knowing how he was going to die, what his end would be. Now, nothing changed about Nancy's circumstances. Her little boy was born with this anomaly, but in that moment, everything changed inside of her. Because she describes it, she fell to her knees and she began to worship God. And she knew that she could, that even if she couldn't, he would. So the question, seeking. The work of seeking, when I say work at it, the work of seeking is this, making time, shutting out distractions, and giving God our attention and our ear. Nancy stopped, she sat down on the couch, she pulled out her Bible, and she started a conversation with God. That's what we're talking about. That's what this word is all about. That's the work of it. So here's two questions for you to consider this week as you take time with God. Number one, how would you describe your effort to build in time with God where he has your undivided attention and ear? And two, how often do you ask and listen for his input each day. That brings us to our second phrase. Our second phrase is seek first, or I say it this way, prioritize God. First things first. You remember the third choice of those five choices that I mentioned? They're there at the top of your outline. It's this one schedule, the big rocks, don't sort the gravel. Well, God is the biggest rock. And he's the one who determines what's important, what's not. What's rock and what's gravel in our lives. If he's really Lord of our lives. And I can't respond to what's important. I am going to be a reactor unless I understand from him. These are the big rocks in your life, Anne. And he's the one who helps us determine that. So instead of seek first, some other translations say it this way. Above all else or before anything else. All of these phrases, though, capture the meaning of this Greek word really well because it means first in time, in order of importance, in place, before anything else, at the beginning, chiefly, first of all. 
Okay, I couldn't help it. It's football season. I couldn't help but be reminded of the cheer that every fan of any team anywhere wants to be able to say with legitimacy in a given season. We're number one. We're number one. You see, what this is saying is God is number one. God is number one. And in the New Testament, this is always an expression of sequence where order is absolutely important. So let's take a look at a couple examples. My, Matthew 5, 24. Before bringing your sacrifice, first be reconciled to your brother. First, there's that word again. Matthew 7, 5. Many of us have read this before. First, take the beam out of your own eye before removing the splinter from your neighbors. The sequence is important. And what it says is Jesus has priorities for us. He has firsts for us. And we're under his lordship. So what's the most important first of all? It's this one. Seeking God's agenda for our life. And when we do that, he lets us know what's important, not just urgent. Regardless of who is bringing that urgent matter to us. It's saying first, seek God's rule. Seek God's agenda. And our everyday needs will be taken care of. What does this mean? It means put Time with God in your calendar first, not last, not if there's room, not if anything else isn't in the way, because you always have time for the first things you do. I'm very grateful for the person who taught me that many years ago. So what does that look like in my life? That means I love the electronic calendar. It's so cool because you can put it on and then do repeat every day of the year. And it writes it in your calendar for every day of the year rather than having to handwrite that in. What does mine say? If I handed you my phone right now, you would see on the calendar 5.30 to 7.30 a.m. And it says quiet time and workout or time with God workout or soap workout. I can't remember which phrase we used, but it's the regular time. Now, when I say first, I'm not talking about that your time has to be at 5.30. It's just where is it in your calendar? Because this is the big deal. A regular time, a regular place, and a plan. Those are the three things that have to be in place for us to really fulfill any commitment that's on our calendar. Time, place, and a plan. And there's lots of ways to connect with God. But you know I'm a broken record. So I'm going to mention the one that we always encourage people. You may be doing daily bread. That's awesome. You may be reading some famous Bible teachers um, devotional. That's awesome. But I want to encourage you. There's nothing like reading a little bit of God's word yourself and you reflecting on it. And you coming up and thinking about what God's saying and then letting him speak to you. This is our soap journal. They're always available for you there at Info Central. But these, there's a Bible reading plan in here, and it's graduated depending on your time. This is what we're talking about, making it the first thing that goes into your calendar, not the maybe thing that goes into your calendar. So here's the questions. Number one, where does connecting with God, that is reaching for his hand and listening for his agenda, Where does that show up in your day? And secondly, what seemingly urgent things tend to get in front of your connecting with God? I know what mine are. That's a question I have to ask myself periodically. It's different things at different seasons, right? And then secondly, what's the thing outside of God that you put everything else on hold for? That's a great question to answer. 
this week as you spend time with God. And it can give us clues to things that often slip in front of him in our lives. So let's look at the third word or phrase out of this verse. Number three is make God's agenda our agenda. Seek first his kingdom. That's the phrase we're looking at. The word here refers to God's rule, his realm, his reign. I know many of you know that. It's easier to know here than it is to do here with our lives. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, live a God in charge life. I like how the message translation reads for Matthew 6, It says this, steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. What's he saying? Put our whole life at his disposal for his will and his rule, as opposed to self-rule where you and I call the shots and we make the decisions and we set all the goals. It's possible for somebody to implement the five choices at the top of your outline. It's possible to go through any book on prioritizing and absolutely end up living out a life that is completely temporary and that has no lasting eternal difference unless it's driven by a God-centered life. My father-in-law, he used to recite a little poem, and he was an amazing man at, at putting God's priorities um, first. And, and, but he used to tell this poem, and I think he just identified with it because he knew the struggle that goes on inside of us to keep God first. But it's this. I like life smooth and in a groove, and all I do be self-approved. That's easy. But we're talking about a life of eternal significance. A life that's going to make a difference for eternity. And we're called to be ambitious for God, not for ourselves. We're supposed to be God-centered, not self-centered. So in that vein, I would like us to consider something today. I would like us to think about the American dream. Something that's near and dear to many people's hearts, including Christians. Some think it was penned by the authors of the Declaration of Independence who wrote these words. We are wield certain truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Actually, that wasn't who coined the phrase, the American dream. They hinted at it for sure in those ideas. But the first person who coined that phrase was actually a historian, James Truslow Adams, who wrote this book in 1931, The Epic of America. And in it, he coined the phrase, the American dream. And he said this, the American dream is that dream of a land in which life should be better and richer and fuller for everyone with opportunity for each according to their ability or achievement. Now, it's a difficult dream, he said, for the European upper classes to interpret adequately. And too many of us ourselves have grown weary and mistrustful of it. It's not a dream of motor cars and high wages merely, but a dream of social order in which every man and each woman should be able to attain to the fullest stature of which they are innately capable and be recognized by others for what they are, regardless of the fortuitous circumstances of birth or position. I want you to fast forward with me to 2015, our American Dictionary definition of the American dream. Here it is. The American dream is a life of personal happiness and material comfort as traditionally sought by individuals in the U.S. 
The American dream is the notion that the American social, economic, and political system makes success possible for every individual. So I ask you this question. Whose definition of success? God's agenda for you and for me is not the American dream. It's not anti-American dream, but it is not his dream for us. His agenda is so much bigger than that. And it always starts with him and what he's up to in his big world and how he wants us to partner with him in that. It's all about loving God and people, not stuff, not particular lifestyles, not a particular socioeconomic status that's essential for us. His agenda is filled with relationship. It's marked with generosity, with giving, not getting. And his agenda is bigger and grander than any dream or goal you and I can come up with on our own. So you remember Steve and Nancy Piper, whom I told you about. You see, the Pipers only spent eight days with their son, Stephen. And then he went to be with Jesus. But he absolutely transformed their lives in those eight small days. You see, when Steve married Nancy, she was intending to be a missionary to Africa when they were dating. And she had her whole life planned out, the school she was going to pursue, all of that. It was her dream to go to Africa. Well, he informed her while they were dating that Africa was not in his plans and that he was never going to go there. Now, even though that's what he told her, she felt like this is the man for me and God's going to have to work. And, and she put that dream on hold and married him and they had their two boys. But in the aftermath of their son Stephen's death, in the middle of their grief, one day, Steve was just spending time with God, listening for his agenda. And this is what he said to him. He said, fulfill your wife's dream. Fulfill your wife's dream. And lo and behold, within a couple weeks, a couple of friends came to their house who were part of a school for missionary kids in Kenya. And they asked them, they said, we think it'd be great and very helpful in your processing to just become dorm parents at this school for one year in Kenya. So after raising their support, which happened very quickly, their friends and family believed so much in who they were. And they set out for Kenya. And Steve, he stepped away from a job as the um, overseer, as the one overseeing 9,000 software consultants for a big corporation. He stepped away from that for a year. But a year turned into a permanent decision as they began to launch their efforts to help stop the tears of hunger in Kenya, where they now provide lunches for over 20,000 Kenyan school children and 35 public schools there, where they have built 20 solar-powered computer labs, maybe more by now because that was 2011, where they are still involved in their efforts to see kids fed and see kids come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, as they're educating them. Now, their journey was filled with setbacks. It was filled with disappointments. It was filled with, with failures. But it was also filled with this amazing provision by God and these miracles that happened on behalf of the mission. And most people across Kenya call it the most heroic of results. And certainly, on the backdrop of eternity, it is an eternal effectiveness. They saw amazing things happen. Now, Steve and Nancy did not go to Kenya with a big dream. 
That's why they call it an unlikely dream. They went with a small hope that they would be healed from their grief as they went and served others for one year. But as they went and they spent time reaching for God's hand and listening for his agenda, step by step, day by day, something huge happened. And thousands of people's lives were changed for eternity. So a, few, a couple months ago, I asked Lori Dickerson, our missionary um, in Uganda. I said, Lori, what could we do for you? How could we be of service to you? And she said, you want to know the truth, Anne? I need somebody who knows how to build a business to come over and help us for six months. And I just felt compelled by God to mention this this morning at each of the services. Because of Steve and Nancy's story. Because maybe this week, when you're spending time, extra time, listening for God's agenda, and you're a person who's a business builder and a businessman, maybe God's going to ask you to be the one that does that to help them with this bakery, Sweet Aromas, that funds the ministry, the church planning ministry that they have there. You want to dream big? I get that. My advice to you would be accept God's dreams for you, though. Make them your dreams. Let go of the American dream and hang on to what God's dreams are for you. That's what Steve and Nancy did as they followed God step by step, day by day. Don't be sucked into this consumer mentality of our culture. Be captured by the one who gave it all for you and I so that we could experience eternity. Let's make that possible for more. Here's the questions. Number one, what in your life causes an unhealthy change of attitude, personality, or focus when it becomes threatened? This is a great question to help us get at what's really we're hanging on to. Secondly, what do you, listen, what do, you do to listen for God's agenda for you on a daily basis? And this brings us to our final phrase in Jesus' words to us. It said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Here's what I want, I want us to know about that. It's saying who God wants us to become is more important than what we get done. Who God wants us to become is more important than what we get done. I found that, find this extremely challenging because I am an activator. And I like production. And I like to get a lot of things done. But he's constantly challenging this way. And... What this is saying, and God cares more about who we're becoming than what we can produce. And you can read Paul's words in Romans 8, 29. He says it this way, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. But I really love how the message says it in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And I'm going to read that for you as you follow along on the screen. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you who's always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out in you and me, develops well-formed maturity in you. 
So I had an opportunity with this this week. No surprise. I probably had more than I was aware of. But I was asked to join the Shop Orenco group that plans special activities for the whole Orenco station area. And we have been preparing for this second site for those three areas, Tannisborn, Orenco Station, and Amber Glen. And we've been looking for ways. And they asked me if I wanted to join their group. And it's all about ways to serve the neighborhood. I was like, yeah, I want to do it. The problem was the meeting, the next meeting was going to be that day. And Jared and I had scheduled two months before a couple had asked us to meet with them at noon that day and to uh, be with them. And it was to both of us that they had asked for that. And so we'd had it on our calendar for two months. So I called Jared and I told him about this and I said, oh man, but this is such a great opportunity to take our next steps for the second site. And, And we had made some offers of ways that we could serve and help us together for their tree lighting ceremony. And so I was just like, this would be so cool. Be there and get this done. And, um, you know, I had the phone call with Jared, but we really didn't solidify, was it? He had a few thoughtful pauses in it. But right after, (laughs) right after I hung up with Jared, the Lord spoke these words to me. He said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. What will your doing this, dividing and conquering is what Jared and I call it, And what will this do to the couple? What will this communicate to them that you made a commitment to two months ago that is expecting you? Over here, this might produce some things. Right here, this is about loving God's people, people he created. I knew right away what I had to do. Now, I told uh, them in the last service, I also heard my mom's voice in my head. Your mama didn't teach you to that way, right? Because my mom was very big on what our commitments meant. And so right after I hung up, after I heard God say this, I just got on my computer immediately and, and uh, emailed Keith back and said, would you mind representing um, our offers of help um, to the group today for me? Because I'm not going to be able to make it, but I'd love to be part of the group in the future. You know, it all worked out. That urgent thing, it all worked out. And they, were, they really want us to help, and they've got some of the things we offered that they're going to do. But the real question was, who do I want to become? not what do I want to get done. And who I want to become is always God's top thing. Always over, what do I want to get done? So here's the questions. What in my life, if taken away, would alter my value or identity from my perspective? And where does Jesus want to make me more like him? Oh, I know. I mean, I got a thousand ways I could be more like Jesus, but my experience after walking with him for just even a short time was that he, thankfully, he doesn't work on everything at once and he's not going to for you either. Isn't that cool? Right now, he's talking to you about one thing, not 20 things. He's, he was good that way with his disciples. He knew they were filled with flaws and, you know, I could make a list of 10 like that about myself. But Jesus is talking to me at any given time, just about that one thing. That's what we're talking about there. Where does Jesus want to make me more like him right now? So here's the verse in other words. Work at making God's agenda and who he wants you to become the number one priority in your life. And it's within the context of this commitment that I'm in a position to experience all of God's care about the things that most of our world is running around looking for. And here's the participation challenge today. This week, the participation challenge has to do with what we're going to eat. And what we're inviting you to do is simplify what you eat this week so that you have more time to connect with God and to listen for his agenda. 
and that you have more to share with others. Because this week marks the beginning of a couple of weeks that we're going to collect food for our Thanksgiving meal food drive for our food bank. And you received this as you came in. The cool thing is, because I am going to eat simpler this week, I'm not going to have to go grocery shopping. I'm not going to have to spend as much time prepping the food. And I am going to have more time for other things. And I'm going to save money. And that money could help me buy more for some people who are in need. So here's the four options. And you may need another one that you invent for your health. We understand there's health concerns for people and you have to adapt. The first one, select five foods and eat those five foods all week. This is the one I'm doing. I've selected my five. Rice, beans, oatmeal, apples, and almonds. There's my big five. Number two, I know it's low on vegetables. Too bad, so sad. (laughs) You don't have to punish yourself, right? If you only get five foods, you got (laughs) to... The apples and the almonds are my, you know, are my little nod to self. There we go. Number two, select one meal a day for seven days, whether it's breakfast or lunch or dinner. Again, some people can do that. Some people aren't able to. I recognize there's physical conditions that dictate this. Number three, select a day that you'll fast all day and um, have no food and drink water that day. And number four, eat only vegetables and fruits for the whole seven days, which is what a lot of people call a Daniel fast. Whichever you decide, let's decide to make our lives about who we're becoming and his agenda for our life. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I just want to say thank you. Thank you that you came. Father, thank you for watching every day of your son's life on planet Earth, knowing what his end would be on this planet, knowing what he'd have to go through for us. You loved us that much. And Lord, you are worthy of us. And today we just bring our lives as an offering to you. We bring our lives as an offering to you. And we invite you. Would you set the agenda in our lives? Would you identify for us where we've made other things more important? Where we've let urgent things crowd out time with you? Or where we've listened to other people more than you? And Lord, this week we just commit ourselves to stepping aside from eating as much or as often, and spending some dedicated time to be with you. Lord, this week we want to reach out our hand to you, and we want to tune our ear to you to listen for your agenda. We can't wait to see how your big world will be changed because of it. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.